Before I dive into the sermon text this morning, I want to take a minute and just kind of give you some big picture direction stuff for this coming year. Um, one is regarding preaching, and another is regarding just vision and direction. Um, regarding preaching, if you've noticed and kind of tracked with us over the last couple of years, we really spend our time preaching through books of the Bible, most weeks, um, and not a lot of topical messages. And there's a reason for that. It, we're intentional with that. Uh, one, we do that because we really feel that God's Word and the Gospel uh, stands on its own. God's Word is sufficient. And as we preach through books of the Bible, we find that there's really nothing new under the sun, as the Bible tells us. We cover just about every topic that we face and as believers in 2023. We're going to encounter that have all already been covered in books of the Bible in various ways. So, so we do the kind of systematic preaching through the Bible. But the other reason we do that is we desire just to increase biblical literacy. We want you as, as a church family to get the grasp of Scripture as a whole. And that's difficult to do if you're jumping around uh, each week in different texts and going back and forth. So m my conviction is that we want to teach the Word of God. A recent study by George Barna, who does a lot of church survey stuff, um, a survey came out in 2022 that asked the question, you know, how do you identify yourself with, with your religion? And 69% uh, checked the box for a Christian. But what they found out is that a lot of people checked that just because they were not Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist. But out of those 69%, only 9% really... Um, believed and had a biblical worldview. Now, what that means, a biblical worldview means that you believe the Bible is accurate, that it is reliable, and that it, it is authoritative for our lives, that it makes a difference. So with such a low percentage of, of people claiming to be a Christian but having a low biblical worldview, I think it's time that, that we make a change in, in how we approach church. So we do a lot of preaching through books of the Bible to help counter that, to help us grasp the truth of God's Word. And then, then we look at culture through the lens of Scripture. So the other thing I just want to touch base on is, is vision this morning. You know, I'm called as your lead pastor to really create a culture of disciple-making. We want Journey to be a place where we make disciples who go on to make more disciples. So I'm going to lead and pastor towards that end. And all along the way, we realize that it takes a biblical foundation to do that. So we're, we're going to continue to, to preach through books of the Bible th this year. So where, where are we headed with that? We're going to dive into Scripture in 2023. We, we kind of go back and forth between Old Testament books and New Testament uh, with a couple um, series in there that focus on a topic or two. So with, with a few exceptions, we're going to stick to the books of the Bible. Um, we're going to cover a series in the Old Testament looking at the minor prophets. Uh, those are smaller books towards the end of the Old Testament that are often overlooked. So we're going to dive into the minor prophets to help prepare us for each Easter, we're going to look at a few chapters in the end of Luke's gospel. 
And I'm excited about that as it prepares us for Easter, but also um, in that series from Luke's Gospel, our youth are going to lead us Sunday. And they're going to do everything from communion meditations to preaching to leading worship, and I always look forward to our youth Sunday coming up on Palm Sunday. And then after Easter, we're going to do a deep dive into the book of Romans. We're going to just walk our way through the book of Romans and see what this incredibly deep book of the, in the New Testament has to say for us here in Wayne, America in 2023. So I, I'm excited about where, where this is headed. You know, Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God, that the Bible is living and active. And we're going to see that as we dive in, it is living and active in our lives as well. It's not a dusty, dry, boring book, but it makes a difference in our life today. So not only are we going to preach two books of the Bible, but we also, second, we want to be really crystal clear on what we mean and just our understanding of when I say disciple-making or make disciples. So this week and next, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means, that what it means to be called to make disciples because we really believe that's our core mission as the church, as Journey Christian Church. That's why we are here to make disciples. So this week and next, we're going to kind of unfold what that looks like. We're going to lay out our DNA as a church, kind of our heartbeat over these couple of weeks, our passion, our focus, what we're going to focus on. It's really who we are and, and what we do. So we're going, to, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a disciple and how do we become a disciple. And these, these first two weeks here are going to lay the foundation for what unfolds for, for the rest of the week, for the rest of the year. So I'm excited about where we're going. It's going to be a good year of preaching and teaching and diving into what it means to be a disciple in this year right here in our community. Okay, I want to change gears here a minute and to help us do that. Uh, Let's pause and just pray and lift up the sermon message today. Father, thank you for this opportunity just to lay out vision and direction for uh, your church here. Father, I thank you for this community that gathers together on a weekly basis to follow you, to be led by you, and to be changed by you. So, Father, be with us this morning as we know that you are. Utilize your word to change us today and draw us closer to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'd like to start the message this morning with a story of disappointment. I know that kind of seems like a downer way to begin a sermon, but but hang with me, stay with me, Um, because we all know what it's like to be disappointed. Now, if you were alive back in 1994, 29 years ago, you might have heard about the country Rwanda in the news. During that time, in 1994, in about a 100-day span, one African tribe called the Hutus tried to kill off another African tribe called the Tutsis. And it was truly genocide in every way, shape, or form. Because the Hutus slaughtered uh, somewhere between 500 and 800,000 Tutsis in a 100-day period. And most of that murder and genocide was done by hand. So families, they, were the, they would seek refuge. They would go to schools and, and hopefully that the schools would protect them. Some of them went to churches seeking refuge inside churches. 
And one, one priest named Father Saromba opened up his church to these fleeing refugees. He welcomed them inside, telling them that, that they would be safe. It was a large church, so the people felt safe when, once they got inside. However, once they were inside, he shut the doors and went and told the Hutu militia where they were, and they bulldozed the church. And 2,000 people died that day inside the church. And it turns out that Father Saromba wasn't alone because a lot of church leaders across Rwanda would turn on people, handing them over to be murdered, to be killed, and sometimes doing that themselves. And reflecting later on, on what happened, and, and this one young woman was asked about um, going back to church, and she simply said, I cannot go back to church now, not after what happened there not after what the church did. You know, there's, there's times in our own lives that, the, that churches can disappoint. You know, have you or do you know someone who has voiced disappointment about a church? You know, they, they say something like, I can't go back to church now, not after what those church people have done. Have you ever said that or thought it? I've thought it, and, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> you know, we all know what it's like to be disappointed in life, and sometimes that, that happens in church, doesn't it? The reality is that churches can disappoint. That happens. And, you know, sometimes books have been written by atheists, and, you know, those books might not hurt our faith. They, they might not uh, kill our faith. But looking at the history of the church and what the church has done can really dampen our faith from time to time. We look at stuff like the Crusades and the Inquisitions and we think, man, how can Christians do that? How can the church do that? We see televangelists jailed for tax fraud or high-profile pastors coming out with extramarital affairs or pastors destroying their churches because of pride and power and control issues. And we see that stuff and we're like, man, how can that happen in churches today? But even at, at the more local level, sometimes it's disappointing when churches don't step up to help when you're in need. Sometimes it's disappointing when you're struggling and the church doesn't seem to care or when you see Christians fighting Christians in your local church or when Christians fail to reach out to the lost when the, when the lost remain unreached and the, or the gospel gets watered down. It's disappointing to attend church after, week after week and nothing seems to change. And ask any long-time long member of a church, and they could tell you that, yes, churches can sometimes be disappointing. Well, this morning, I want to look at a few parables that Jesus tells us from Matthew chapter 13. And as we look at these parables, they're going to help us answer two questions. One is, why are churches sometimes disappointing? And these parables point us towards the answer, but they also show us what we can do to counter that. So if you have your Bibles this morning or your, your phone, open up to Matthew 13, and we're going to see why churches can sometimes disappoint. Well, first of all, we have to consider the competition. 
There is some severe, fierce competition for your heart. And your heart's going to have to choose between different types of soils, Jesus tells us. So he describes this, this competition for your heart by using an illustration of a farmer that goes out to sow seed. I'll just paraphrase the first part of this, this parable because Jesus says, he just starts the story, says, the farmer goes out to sow his seed. And back in this day, they didn't have no-till, precision GPS planting. They would literally take it and throw it. They would cast the seeds. So it would land on different soils. And Jesus said some of those seeds would fall, would fall upon a, a path, rock-hard soil, and the birds would quickly come and eat it up. And some of those seeds that he would throw would fall upon rocky places. They would spring up quickly, but because they had no root, there's no depth, the sun would scorch it, they would wither and die. And some of the seed that they would throw would fall upon and in thorns. And yes, they would begin to grow up, they'd begin to sprout, but the thorns would choke out the plants and they wouldn't produce fruit. And finally, Jesus says, some of the seed that the farmer would cast would actually land on the good soil. And there on the good soil, it would take root, it would grow and produce a crop. And then Jesus explains the meaning of the path and the rocky soil and the thorny soil and the good soil. So in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 8, this is how, 18, this is how Jesus describes it. Listen to, then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. Basically, Jesus is saying there's four kinds of soil for a person's heart, and there's some fierce competition going on. Now, when Jesus tells a parable like this in such a way with an illustration that everybody could relate to and understand, Jesus was intentionally presenting this in such a way that would lead each hearer that day to ask the question, what type of heart do I have? What type of soil is, is my heart? Now, you could describe each of these four with, with a different word. The, the soil or the seed that lands on the path would be the person that goes, what? Huh? You know, the Word of God is sown, and they're like, I don't understand it, you know? It's just like, right across the head, Satan takes it away. The seed that falls on the rocks would be like the person that says, cool! Yeah, I'm in, I'm in! But then when things get hard, they're gone. The person with the heart of thorns would be like, yeah, whatever, 
If I have time, you know, I'll, I'll get into it. If life isn't too busy, you know, I'll make time for the Word of God. But when things get crazy, it gets pushed aside. And the person with the heart of good soil says, yes. Yes, I hear the, the message of the kingdom. That person understands it, unlike the, the path. They hold fast to it, unlike the rocky soil. They value it and prioritize it, unlike the thorny soil. And they begin to produce fruit in the good soil. Well, con consider this this morning. Does automatically attending church automatically give you good soil of your heart? Does it automatically mean that, that your heart is going to be receptive and open and fruitful? Well, notice something about this parable. All four soils are exposed to the message of the kingdom. All four hear the word of God, but only one bears fruit. So why can churches sometimes disappoint? You've got to figure there's competition out there for your heart. Sometimes it's, it's the choices that you make. Sometimes it's just not recognizing what the world is doing out there. But Satan and the world are going to be fighting against you, trying to pull away the message of the kingdom. So the soil of our heart plays a role in this idea of disappointment. But second of all, churches can sometimes disappoint because of the people. And by that I mean looks can be deceiving. Because not everyone who comes to church, not everyone who says they're a Christian, is a genuine follower. Jesus tells a parable in that regard, beginning in verse 24 of Matthew 13. <clears throat> Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So Jesus is saying there, there's weeds right alongside the wheat in the same field, side by side, mixed together. And ra rather than pulling them up and risk pulling up the wheat, he says, just wait until the harvest and then we'll take care of it. And along the same line, he continues with parable beginning in verse 47 about a net and fish. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore, and then they sat down and collected the good fish in basket, but threw the bad away. Again, all of these were together. They come in together. Good fish right along with the bad. And we need to look closely at our hearts and we need to look closely at those around because looks can be deceiving. Think what Jesus is telling us that sometimes the, the, the wheat and weeds are, are right together in the church as well. There's good fish and bad within the church as well. And when Jesus told these parables, he, he, he wasn't designing them just to make, you know, make us feel uncomfortable or, or, make, or make a humorous story or go, yeah, that's a great story, Jesus. He was telling them to, to force each of us to ask the tough questions about ourselves. 
He wanted us to examine our hearts when we heard these parables, you know, and asked ourselves, am I wheat or am I weeds? Am I the good fish or the bad fish? Am I a follower of Christ or am I just faking it? Do I only look the part or am I doing my part? Where's our heart? Another reason sometimes churches can disappoint is because of the process. The process is just not being identified. Jesus goes on to give a couple parables about what that looks like. In verse 31, he tells us a parable about a mustard seed. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in his field. Though it was the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And he told him another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Okay, based on those two pyramids, Two parables. I'm going to give you a multiple choice, one question quiz today. So you ready? See if you're paying attention. So based on these two parables, being a Christian means A, a one-time event where you've asked Jesus into your life, or B, a one-time event where you were baptized, or C, a lifelong process of growth and change. And the answer is C, ding, 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 a lifelong process where there's change. See, following Jesus is more than just planting one seed and calling it good. Christianity is a process of, of growing into what God calls us to be. It's not about just a single fleck of yeast, a single dot of yeast being placed in. It's about yeast doing its work and working through this entire batch of dough. You see, being a Christian is a lifelong process. It's about growth, it's about change, it's about following Jesus, making that decision every single day and living under Jesus as your Lord. But disappointment creeps in when we think it's just a one-time event and then we sit back and we're like, okay, was that all that there is? You know, how come my life isn't different? Why, why haven't things changed? When that process is not clearly identified or talked about or nurtured, disappointment can can come in because we think, well, it's a one-and-done deal. Well, churches can also sometimes disappoint because the cost is never talked about. Jesus gives a couple parables on that. Verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant for fine per looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This treasure in the field, this pearl, are, are of such incredible worth that they did not disappoint the one who went and sought it and bought it. And the one who experiences this joy, he says, is the one that sold everything and invested in it. So the question that Jesus wants us to ask based on that par parable, you know, is, is asking how can we experience joy in the kingdom when all that we do is 
kind of scroll through and casual look at things without, without ever making a commitment? How can we experience joy in the kingdom if we're just casual shoppers scrolling through, you know, our Christian faith without ever digging in? So based on these parables, here's some sober lessons that we can pull from them today. Looking at the parable of the soils, merely hearing the word doesn't cut it. Looking at the parable of the fish and the wheat, proximity or just showing up or just being here for an hour on Sunday just doesn't cut it. In the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, just merely starting out doesn't cut it. In this parable about the treasure and the pearl, merely casual scrolling, casual shopping, or just looking doesn't cut it. So there are four reasons that churches can disappoint. There's competition for your heart. There's this idea that you know proximity can be deceiving, just showing up isn't it. There, the process has never been identified or talked about, or the cost has never been considered. You know, a church can be a disappointment when all it thinks about, or all it thinks it is, is a building to meet in, that has a staff that offers programs for adults and children to help them live more socially better adjusted lives. That is, can be disappointing because that's not the gospel. So Jesus' answer to it, did you notice the phrase that he uses in every one of those parables that he begins each of those parables with? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the message of the kingdom. You see, Jesus calls us to be citizens of a kingdom. That's who we are. He calls us to step into this kingdom where he's king and we are followers. So problems arise when churches just see something less than that. As church is something that we can fit into our schedule or that we can take from as consumers or that we can ignore when, when our schedules are full or we can move on from when they don't offer what we want. When we look at churches like that, churches disappoint. But when we see this as a kingdom-focused body of believers, then things can begin to change because a kingdom demands everything. A kingdom has a king, and followers. And the Bible describes a follower as a disciple of Jesus. So here's where I want to land the plane today. Jesus' answer to church disappointment is an invitation to become his disciple. To accept that invitation to follow him as a disciple. And to be a disciple simply means to be an apprentice, a, a lifelong follower of Jesus as our king to live in that kingdom life. And disciple making then is this multi-generational approach of where we are called to be a disciple who makes disciples. And we use Jesus' life and teachings as our curriculum. So here at Journey, we define a disciple right from Scripture using Matthew 4.19 as our guide 
where it says, Jesus called his first disciples and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So based on that verse, we can see there's three things involved. Being a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. Being a disciple, second of all, is someone being changed by Jesus. Where it says, I will make you. And thirdly, being a disciple is someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. Where Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. So it involves our, our head, it involves our heart, and it involves our hand, every aspect of who we are. I want to close this morning with a story of another father, another priest who falls on the different end of the spectrum as Father Saromba did in Rwanda in 1994. This father is named Joseph Damien. I think we have a picture of him there. And in 1873, Father Damien sailed as a missionary to Hawaii. And when he got there, he discovered all of these victims of Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy. And these leprosy victims were shoved aside. They had no help. They had no care. They had no schooling. So he set about his ministry to care for these leprosy victims. He built schools, he built orphanages, he brought in supplies, he taught them in schools, and he taught them the gospel message, and he chose to live among them. The selfless ministry went on for about a decade. And then one Sunday morning in 1885, he stood up and began his sermon with the words, We Lepers. And if you notice in, in the picture there, uh, on the one side, that, that was jo Father Joseph when he began his ministry. And there on your right is Father Joseph just a few months before his death. And you can see the ravages of leprosy on his life. One hand he has tucked in because it's bandaged and, and wounded. And you can see it on his face. But here's a man who followed Jesus. Here, here is a man who changed, was changed by Jesus and truly lived on mission for Jesus, so much so that he embedded his life amongst the outcasts of lepers, who understood that doing so might even cost him his life, and it did. But he lived on mission for Jesus. I'm going to invite the praise team back up this morning, and, and as they come, I realize that churches can disappoint and you might have experienced that, that yourself in, in your life. But the answer to church disappointment is to become a disciple of Jesus. To make that lifelong commitment to follow him, to allow Jesus to change your life, and then commit yourself to live on mission for Jesus. And that's what Journey Christian Church is all about. That's our mission. So will you do that today? First step today let me just ask you to have a conversation with myself or with Adam. And let's start that conversation of what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gospel message that you give us. A gospel that invites us into being a disciple. A gospel message that invites us to be changed. And a gospel message that leaves us with a mission in life. 
So, Father, may we step into that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.